In book two, the stage is set for more shooting over crawfish. The killing sickens Becky and Roland, so they leave crawfishing behind and head north to Martha's Vineyard. Sword fishing is appealing to Roland, but not the winter weather. The following year, they're back in Florida on their own offshore crawfish boat. Raymond James teams with them in his own offshore boat, and together they set 3,000 traps near Walker's Cape, Bahamas. Local natives soon arrive in skiffs to make some easy money by pulling the two men's traps. Roland Cameron and Lester Mudd deliver a message by mail to the natives from their airplane. The chain mail convinces the locals that there's not going to be any easy money available. Two years of good trapping are followed by two years of machine gun fire as the two fishermen use their patrol boat and airplane to convince thieves from the Miami River to stay away. A thief, his crew, and the boat vanish. The thieves return to Miami. But the Bahamian government wants no more shooting near the world-famous Blue Marlin Fishing Resort on Walker's Cay and force the two fishermen from their waters. Roland and Becky use their plane to search Florida for a place to simply be left alone to fish for a living. The small fishing village, nestled among the Everglades on the edge of the Ten Thousand Islands, could have been the answer to their long-sought-after dream. Ray Roland and the crew members arrive in their boats to begin establishing their stone crab trapping business. It seemed too good to be true, which made Becky recall an old saying, and it was. Everglades City was not only the hub of American stone crab production, it was also the marijuana import capital of the South. Events were about to begin that would forever change lives. Swamp Cowboys and Square Grouper Lester Mudd headed toward Quesal, a small reef-like bank near Cuba. He was filling in for Billy Brown's jailed first mate, Less like Billy's decky, Larry, even if he was a New Yorker. A killing made less considered becoming a murderer himself, but he cooled off and let the Coast Guard handle it. However, Les hated Rosetta Manicosa from that day on, and later made him wish Les had died that day too. As the war at Quesal raged on, Roland and Becky land their new plane in Montego Bay, Jamaica, to begin a long-awaited honeymoon. It will now become obvious how events can cause two fishermen, who wanted only to be left alone to fish, to become ensnarled in the world of drug smuggling. They soon found themselves in a setting reminiscent of the Old West. Horses were replaced by fast pick-em-up trucks, airboats, and airplanes. Nine-millimeter automatics hanging in shoulder holsters replaced six-shooters hanging on the hip. Tension grows as multi-ton loads worth millions are brought in. DEA agents replace old-time sheriffs and deputies. Becky noticed that many new faces were standing beside the water with fishing poles that had no line. When she saw the man begin talking into his armpit, she looked closer. The walkie-talkie antenna was small but noticeable to someone like her. She was paying attention as she rode around Everglades City in Chukalaski on her moped. They began making preparations to leave. And a month later, Roland and Becky were in their plane heading towards South America. A short time later, almost 100 men were busted. Most went to prison.
some for life. Ray was released from Miami Federal Prison in 2005 after serving 14 years. What's he doing now? Pulling traps, of course. Hauling pot? Nope. He told the author recently, I don't go one click over the speed limit, and I stop completely at all stop signs. Ain't going back to prison.